Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. You are the good shepherd of our souls. Would you minister to us, your little flock, this morning in Christ's name? Amen. Uh, What a joy it is to sit with you and to worship with you each and every week. Over these summer months, we've been looking and following the the words and teaching of St. Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, You may not know this, but Luke was a physician. Luke was a physician and was writing to a fairly educated audience and uh, there was a, that's interesting in and of itself because I think that's one of the reasons it's helpful to pay attention to the Gospel of Luke in affluent suburbia. Um, it's also significant to realize that Luke, in writing to a upwardly mobile community, talks a lot about money and possessions. Today, this Sunday, is really part two of two, and so if you weren't here last week, I'll give about a minute summary um, through the audio pops. We'll get through it. About a three-minute summary. Um, Last week, I started with this, that when you come into a real relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes your relationship to this world, to stuff, to money and possessions. When you come to know Jesus Christ, it transforms how you relate to the things of this world. And we just heard read that Hebrews reading you know, these the saints of old were looking for a different country. They were looking for, this is what happens when you come to know who Jesus really is and you know him both as Lord and Savior as it begins to transform our greedy hearts. Um, because of the cultural challenges that are present in 2022 to speaking about money, let me just say this, that um, It's not uncommon for there to be a lot of skepticism when a preacher gets up and begins talking about money and possessions. Um, One of my favorite non-believing friends in Flower Mound who has since passed away, his name was Sam Wilson, and he sold the land, 10 acres, to Church of the Resurrection, once said to me when I was on his porch, in the way only a wealthy Texas businessman could say to a preacher, have I told you this before? He said, Brian, one syllable, Brian, every pastor I've known has had his mouth open and his hand out. He's just, he's just being truthful. That's been his experience. Um, let's acknowledge it for what it is that we've seen in our culture lots of abuses of money and power in the church, in Christian institutions. And so we're really skeptical. Let me assure you again today that I am not going to ask for your money for this one local church. What I want to remind you of, to proclaim, for some of you this will be news for the first time, that the Lord Jesus treasures you and that he wants to be your treasure. In fact, he wants to give you the thing that your heart is so longing for. It's the only thing that will actually bring real peace and contentment and rest in your soul. It's a gift that comes from him. And when you come to know this new treasure, it transforms how you relate to the treasures of this world. And this is such a significant thing that Jesus talked about it more often than he did any other ethical issue. It's because he knows our frame, he knows our form, he knows that we struggle to believe that we'll have enough. He knows we struggle with that. 
We'll get to this in a moment, but him referring to us as his sheep, it's really significant. Last week, just a quick reminder, last week, Jesus tells a story about a fool. And essentially, that fool in the story believes two lies. He believes the lie of mine and more. The lie of mine, that that it's my stuff, it's my cars, it's my money. And you and I, it takes a lifetime to come to really live from the different place where you're not believing the illusion of the lie of mine. We say it every week when we get just to the offertory moment. After we've heard God's word, we've confessed our sin, we proclaim a proclamation from King David in the Old Testament where he says, everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And we all respond, and of your own have we given you. Why do we say it every week? Because we need daily, weekly, hourly retraining of our hearts to actually live from a place where we are no longer living the the illusion, the lie of mine, my, my stuff. Jesus' story also brings out the illusion of more, that if we just had more, it would be enough. We struggle with that. We struggle with that. If we just had more pasture land as his sheep, we would be content. Then we would be restful. And we know this is a lie. This is an illusion. And so Jesus says, watch out for all forms of greed. Um, By the way, if you think that this is just about money, you're mistaken, All forms of greed, meaning you can be craving for more of something that may have nothing to do with material possession. It could be the approval of other people. It could be a certain physique. We're a culture that's preoccupied with how we look. And Jesus' warning to us is watch out for all forms of greed, all different ways in which our hearts are longing for more because we don't actually see it in ourselves. So he says, "Why? I want you to be aware of this. I want you to pay attention to this. Um, I had a drainage problem at my house. Uh, we're, we're in a fairly new neighborhood and um, where water is supposed to go was not rightly sorted out on our property. And I had a contractor come out and I explained the problem to him and it's a big problem. It's messing with our foundation, we think. And I explained it to him. And at the end of the explanation, he just sort of scratched. He said, man, you got a problem. And I said, I know, can you help me fix it? And at this particular country, said, no, I, I can't do anything about that. Uh, you need to call somebody who can help you with it. <laughs> That's why you're here. Um, it, Jesus doesn't end his teaching about the fool with the teaching about the fool. He doesn't just say, gosh, you guys have a real heart problem. You're just really greedy. Your, your lives are just a total wreck and a mess. You need to call somebody about that. He doesn't leave us hanging. It's so fascinating, and really it's, it's, in, it's in being in community with you that the Lord slows me down enough to listen to his teaching and to watch the, the, the transformation, the solution that he offers. I touched on it briefly. I really want to, to explore it more deeply this week. He offers a teaching that shows us that there is a wealth, there is a treasure available to you and me that is powerful enough to transform our greedy hearts. There's a treasure, there's a wealth that will transform our hearts. I want to explore that. And then I want to look at that these go together. This wealth, this treasure that transforms has to be um, joined by a strategy 
of how we handle our possessions in this world. And so the source of wealth that transforms, we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at a strategy that will really retrain our hearts because we need a lot of retraining in this. Okay, so first, the wealth that transforms. Um, One of my favorite passages of C.S. Lewis, I don't have time to read it now, talks about there is no other stream. I cry every time I read it to you. There's no other source of wealth that will transform your heart and my heart except this one source. Like, this isn't a self-help talk. Like, like, you know, give this a shot and maybe this will help. This is the only source of wealth that will transform our greedy hearts. What is that source of wealth? It is the Father's love for us. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32 of chapter 12. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is primarily fear, fear that keeps you and I from being content. We're afraid of not having enough. That's where greed comes from. We're afraid of not being enough or not having enough. Sometimes we call it FOMO and the FLOMO. The fear of missing out, you know about FOMO. It's amazing how it will, it will like creep up in our hearts. Um, it'll creep up in our language. Um, uh, am I going to have enough? Am I going to be enough? Are my kids going to have enough? Are they going to be enough? And there's this fear of missing out. There's this real anxiousness in our, in our flower plex, isn't there? We feel it. You feel it. It's everywhere. I had, was having dinner with friends last night in my neighborhood, and the daughter of one of the families that was present has like a 98-something grade point average, unweighted, so weighted, whatever that is, is, right? It's incredible. She's not in the top 10% of her class. And, and this, is, this is just everywhere. Some of you are going, yeah, like we, we know. This is this like pressure cooker of anxiety, and there's this fear of are my kids going to miss out? Are we going to miss out? Or are we going to have enough? And Jesus, no, this isn't a new problem. This is a very human, very ancient problem. And, and when he refers to us as little sheep, it's not a derogatory thing. It's actually coming from a place of compassion. Remember when he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd? You and I have a good shepherd. And when he says, fear not, little flock, He's not going, gosh, you guys have a problem. I'm not sure what we're going to do about this. He offers the solution. He tells them, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's four reasons sheep will not lie down. I'm from West Texas. It used to be the sheep capital of the world. It's kind of like saying I know something about skyscrapers because I lived in New York. I mean, it's that silly, but just go with me. There's four reasons sheep will not lie down. Uh, One of them is fear, fear of predators. Uh, out in West Texas, it's a bobcat chasing them or maybe a mountain lion if you get in far West Texas. But there's a fear of predators that will cause sheep not to lie down. If they get a sense that maybe there's a predator around, they're not going to lie down. There's another fear. Uh, so fear is one of them. The other one is flies. And I don't know what they did about it in ancient times, but in modern times, it's a real problem if you're a sheep farmer is this constant irritation of flies buzzing around. It'll cause the whole herd, the whole flock to not calm down. The other one is friction. When other sheep, if they're in a crowded place, are bumping them, the other one's famine. Fear, flies, friction, and famine if they don't have enough food or water. You and I aren't any different than these sheep. 
the fear of failure, the fear of sudden disaster, the subtle, constant struggles of this life, the friction that we experience in the relationship with those around us, the constant search to have enough. You and I are like sheep. And he says, fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid. Now, he tells the story of the fool in the very next breath. He says, don't be afraid. And here's why you don't have to be afraid. Because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is the wealth of God's kingdom that is transferred to you and I through Christ. And this word that's used, pleased, I commented on it, but let's dwell on it for a moment, that he's pleased to give you the kingdom, that he takes great delight in giving you his kingdom, that God actually likes you. Do you believe that? That he delights in you. Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid, not because I'm just telling you not to, but there's a reality of the Father's love that I want you to live in. And this, this kingdom that is being given to you and I is unshakable. It can't be shaken. It can't be changed. It's, it's certain. It's solid. And it's his love for us that begins to transform our greedy hearts. I don't know about you, but I struggle to live into the reality I'm telling you about. Like in, on a daily basis, where I live from this place of believing like I'm the wealthiest person in the world. The whole kingdom of God has been, has been granted and given to me. And the thing that my heart was really long for, longing for was approval and acceptance that I have a heavenly father that takes great joy and delight in me as his son, that like there's nothing I could ever do to be separated from his love. Do you live from that place on a daily basis? on a weekly basis. I don't know about you, but I need constant reminders of it. This is why we make such a big deal in the Christian community about pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ because it is the ultimate expression of God's love poured out for us. All the leaves of scripture are rustling with the news of God's love for us. It's not just a, a New Testament thing. It's an Old Testament thing. Some of the famous verses, and I remember hearing this as a kid going, that can't be right. They're misquoting that. Zephaniah 3.17. I remember somebody reading this. I was a kid. I was like, it couldn't get through. I, I guess I was so busy performing, so busy trying to gain the approval of other people in other ways, but it couldn't pierce my, my hard heart. This is the truth of Scripture. Look at what it says. The Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. Wow, really? Second Corinthians in the New Testament. I read this last week. Let me read it again. Do you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich? Let me just say it a different way on this first thing. You are God's treasure he delights in you. And the more that you come to know that you are his treasure, it will change what you treasure. It will change what you treasure in this world. The closing prayer, in uh, it's called Compline. It's the very last hour of the day as a way of training our hearts to be attentive to God. The very last prayer from our prayer book, uh, we repeat it twice. It's this little verse from Psalm 17. 
Oh, Father, would you keep me as the apple of your eye? Would you hide me in the shadow of your wings? If you struggle to believe that you are the absolute delight of the Father, you are struggling with the very heart of the gospel itself. This is what it's all about. Coming to delight in the joy that is yours and mine as his, as his children. And it says that it's the Father's delight, notice what it says, to give you the kingdom. It's all grace. It's all gift. And this, this is the source of true wealth that will really satisfy us. And it's all gift. It's a gift of God's kingdom. That's where it comes from. Now, um, this can only be experienced in a supernatural way. I can tell you about it, like telling you about, you know, a certain type of fruit that you should enjoy, but until you've tasted and seen that he really loves you and he really delights in you, it's like describing a food you've never eaten before. It's, it's not connecting to the senses. Everything that I'm saying, God wants you to actually experience in everyday life. And the source of this love, this wealth that is yours, it will begin to slowly but surely transform your heart and my heart. To see the world differently. To realize that, like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I have the thing that my heart was longing for for forever and I didn't know it and it was the approval and the acceptance and the wealth of God's kingdom and it was all gift and I, I guess maybe there was a long time in my own journey where I thought okay that's great that's all that I need um, there's nothing else that that I need to do in order to rightly relate to the treasures of this world other than just to know that I'm God's treasure and I have all the wealth of the kingdom and no no there's a strategy that goes with this there's a source of true wealth that will transform our hearts, but there's a strategy. I don't, I'm, I'm not a financial planner, but this is the strategy of wealth transference. That's what this is. And they go together. It, you can't actually have one without the other. Verse 32, Jesus says, fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Look at verse 33 with me now. And so here's the strategy. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. He's, he's describing a strategy now. This gets really practical. Uh, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This source of true wealth that is the Father's love for us and this strategy of transferring our wealth to another kingdom these are not two options in a line of many options for how to rightly relate to our resources. These are the two options. is to come to know and believe and trust in the Father's love and to begin practicing a strategy of how we relate to our resources that says we are a community of people that are looking for a better country. It was the way the early church related to the material possessions of this world that revolutionized the Roman Empire. It caused the watching, non-believing world to peek in and to go, that is different. They are totally different. What is that? Sell your possessions, he says. Give to the needy. The antidote for the affluenza of our souls is to transfer freely, to begin to freely give, to sacrificially give even, our material possessions away without a hook. 
I gave you a little bit of homework at the end of the sermon last week to identify where it is that your resources flow most freely, like without even thinking. And I had some fun comments afterwards because I was talking about sporting goods and my children, and some of you affirmed that you also struggle with that. There was a reference, all I have to do is look in my gun safe, and I know where my treasure is there, my heart will be also. Like, where is it that, like, it's like, I don't know what yours is, but like, if, if you give me a number, it doesn't matter because that's the thing I really love. Where your money flows most freely, it points to your treasure. So even though you and I know, head, heart, know, experientially know the Father's love, there's a strategy that has to be combined with that that begins to retrain how we relate to the material possessions of this world. We begin to give freely away to the poor, to the needy, to ministries and missions that are helping others to come to know the Father's love. Are you training your heart to treasure the kingdom of God? It's not just that you have an unending, unshakable source of wealth. You have that. But combined with that has to be this strategy of sacrificial giving. Philip Yancey writes of a spiritual seeker who interrupted his busy, acquisitive life to spend a few days in a monastery. And the monk that was showing him his cell, which is what his room was called, says, I hope your stay is a blessed one. If you need anything, let us know, and we'll teach you how to live without it. (laughs) I don't know, I just, I love that. What the monastic community knows is that this greed that's in us, it's deep, it's, it's down deep. And we actually need a way, a strategy, a program of dealing with it. And this is why, this is actually the reason why we should care about whether or not we're participating in the sacrificial practice of being generous to the needy, to the poor, to the mission of the church, because our hearts actually need retraining. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our money. God wants to be our treasure. This strategy helps us to begin to transfer our wealth. It's so fascinating to pay attention to what Jesus is saying, that that you actually want to be rich towards God. You want to be rich in another kingdom. And this source and this strategy go together. Years ago, I told a story, I'll be really brief on this as I close, of the Knights in the Crusades. One of the major blemishes blemishes of Christian history is the Crusade era. And some of the Knights that would go through the waters of baptism as a part of their uh, conversion to Christ would actually go into the waters, down into the river, and they would hold their swords above their head, out of the water. And it was, it was a way of saying that Christ has all of me, but, but whether they were right-handed or left-handed, but, but the sword is, is not touched by the kingdom of God. This I need for worldly dominance and power. This I will withhold from the waters of baptism. What I've noticed, at least in our North American context, is that the wallet, the checking account, tends to be the last thing transformed in a Christian's life. It tends to be the thing that, that we go, like, like everything? Like, you want, you want all of me? Not, not this. This, I'm going to go into the waters of baptism and kind of withhold. It tends to be the last thing that we give over to the Lord. And I think in our context here in Denton County, in southern Denton County in particular, this is an issue for us. 
we should not look like everyone else. We should be different. I talked about how the early church was, was so um, salty, so much light for the dark world they were in. And the main way they were wasn't because they were so great at evangelism. Like they really knew how to knock on doors and share tracts. That wasn't it. The strategy was they had, they had transformed their relationship to material possessions. And it caused the watching world to go, I don't know what that is, but that's different and I want to know about it. Emperors wrote about it. Rulers wrote about it. I've shared in times past the Pliny the Younger, this is in the very first century, said that the superstitions of the Christians are spreading like the plague. And the reason was they weren't afraid of the plague. The reason was they weren't afraid of losing their material possessions. It's actually been in serving as a pastor here at Resurrection that I've experienced deeper transformation in this because when you're in my role, you get sort of a front seat at the generosity of God's people. And I've watched people over the years who drive 15-year-old vehicles, you know, 150,000 miles or more, um, who are giving 15, 20, 30 grand a year to Church of the Resurrection. And the watching world, the, the friends in my neighborhood that are non-believers would look at this and would go, that makes no sense. Why are you doing that? Why are you being generous to a local church or to any institution when you yourself haven't sort of secured the possessions that, that we like to have in our reality? It makes no sense to a consumeristic culture. You and I are meant to be different, to freely give away. That's the strategy. Hear me. Um, we're not exploring it as much as we maybe need to, but there's a source that transforms. There's a strategy and, and you have to participate in the strategy to retrain your heart. Um, I think it's been in the slide deck like five times, and I don't know if I've ever said it, so I'm going to share it. One of my favorite quotes, it's in the email footer of the great Jared Grice. I love this quote from Leslie Newbigin. He says, live in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the only answer. Live in such a way Spend your resources in such a way that a watching world looks in and goes, that makes no sense. Yeah, you gotta know the only explanation is the Father's love for us. What Christ has done for me and it's transformed how I relate to the material world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, each and every one of us wants to experience the love that you've proclaimed is true, that it's true for us. We want to experience it. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you make it known to us as we come to your table, hands open, would we receive the gift of your kingdom, your love poured out for us? And Father, give us the courage, give us the faith to trust you with our material resources in a time of anxiety, in a, in a society that's fearful of having enough, especially now, would you make us steady in the midst of that, knowing that we can trust in you, our provider. We ask this for your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen.